0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, so good to see you here, uh, City Rev. Can we just take a moment and just thank our, our worship ministry for, for leading us? Can we just thank the day? Thank you, guys. Josh, Pastor Josh, Fabio, thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, tech team. We appreciate you guys and how you serve us and lead us every single week into, the, into just the presence of the Lord, and we're just so grateful for you. Um, today we are, um, before we jump into the text, today we are celebrating, um, we're joining in celebrating, something that's being celebrated really around the country uh, this past week, all over the country, those who serve in law enforcement have been, are being recognized and have been recognized And so we just wanted to pause the church. We have a lot of of men and women that serve in law enforcement. And we're so proud of you. We're so grateful for you. And so we just want to just say thank you and honor you. And I know you're going to hate this. But I'm just going to ask you, would you just stand for a second? If you serve or formerly served in law enforcement, would you just take a moment and stand? Thank you. So grateful for you guys. You may take a seat. I'm not going to force you to stand for... For that long, but just so grateful for, for, you, for you all, and grateful for how you put your life on the line every single day, and um, what a sacrifice for our community. Also thankful for you, uh, their family and loved ones. We know it takes a toll. It's a sacrifice on your families as well, and so we're grateful for you. And so we're going to enter into a time of Bible study, but as we enter into this time, I want to just begin uh, with, a t- with some prayer, and specifically, I want to pray over those of you in law enforcement and your families God's protection uh, over you. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these uh, men and women throughout these, our services today that have stood that represent the City Rev Church family that are out serving uh, our community. Lord, I'm so grateful for them. We're so grateful for them. Thank you for that Christ-like commitment and attitude to put their life on the line, to sacrifice themselves for our safety. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you would protect them. Would you surround them with protection, Lord? Surround their families with protection. Would you keep them safe? And Lord, for every single one of those who are part of the City Rev family who are in law enforcement, I ask that you would empower them. That Lord, every single time they're on shift, I pray that you would empower them to effectively work justice and righteousness in our community. Would you use them to bring that about in our community. Father, we just ask, we, we pray that they would feel the love and support of their church family, Lord, that they would feel us behind them and that our prayers are surrounding them. Thank you for, for them, Lord. Father, as we go into your word today, I pray that you would use your scripture to transform us. We, we lay ourselves before you. And Lord, we're aware that we put walls up in our hearts we ask that you bring those walls down and we'd see the good work that you want to do in our hearts. We ask that you would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So earlier this week, I was reading through a book with my, my little buddy, my son, uh, Nehemiah, he's six. And he's into science. So we've been reading through this book that's got all this scientific facts in it. And there was a section about the planets. And when I saw a picture of Jupiter, it was just like an ordinary picture of Jupiter, like a, a, a hundred I've seen, you know, over my life. And, and there's this one just distinctive part about that planet it's that red spot on Jupiter. You know what I'm talking about? We, we got a picture of Jupiter. Go ahead and pull up that picture. It's that distinctive red spot right there on Jupiter. And I remember uh, as I was looking at that picture, I thought to myself, I remember something I learned when I was a kid, that that spot is actually a storm. That's what that is. And uh, at least that's what I was taught when I was a kid, and so I'm thinking to myself, okay, wait a minute. I- I've just kind of accepted that and embraced that, but I realized, you know, later, like, wow, there's still today, like, getting pictures of Jupiter. And I guess I'm surprised that the storm is still there. It seems like that's a long time for a storm, for the same storm to be present on one planet. And so I had to do a little bit of research. So I was looking on like NASA's website, trying to get some facts about the planet Jupiter and specifically about that particular storm. And what I found shocked me. For starters, that storm has been around a lot longer than I realized. They, they have been aware of the storm for at least 150 years. And I was thinking to myself, look, like a really bad storm on our planet, like one of those hurricanes that like hits Florida and then goes back out to sea and then rebuilds strength. Okay, like a really bad storm that might last several weeks, maybe a little over a month, but imagine a storm that lasts not a year, not 10 years, not a century, 150 years. And by some um, records that earlier astronomers have written, they may have been looking at the same storm as much as 350 years ago. We really have no idea how old that particular storm is on Jupiter. But there's more that fascinated by me by this storm. It's the speed that that storm is moving. So like the fastest, like if you think of Hurricane Andrew and you think of the not the sustained winds of Andrew, but the gusts, like those momentary gusts, there's debate on how fast those were for Hurricane Andrew. And the higher end of that debate is that the gusts got over 200 miles an hour, like 210, 212 miles an hour. But that's nothing compared to that storm, that red spot on Jupiter they estimate that those winds are going 450 miles per hour sustained. Isn't that incredible? More than twice the fastest gusts of Hurricane Andrew. But here's the thing that really, really got me about that storm. It's the sheer size of that storm. And to give some context, check out this picture of Earth next to Jupiter. They're trying to show scale. Jupiter is so much larger than Earth. Scientists estimate that that storm on Jupiter may be as large as two times the size of planet Earth. Now, I want you to think of a storm like that on Jupiter. It's from another world, okay? That storm on Jupiter from a different world, what would happen if you brought that otherworldly thing to this world, Like imagine like an intergalactic giant just picked up his hand, grabbed that storm out of Jupiter, and just brought it here to planet Earth. Imagine that, like stretch your imagination. That storm would wrap around the entire planet, and it would whirl around at 450 miles per hour for decades, maybe centuries. Can you imagine releasing an otherworldly force like that on our planet, what it would do? What's crazy to think about is that is not even the fastest winds they estimate in our solar system. They say the winds on Saturn near its equator, they, they think, get up to 1,100 miles per hour. Can you imagine that? Getting those winds from Saturn and just dropping them in our world? I, I wanted you to just stretch your imagination about taking something from another world and dropping it in our world with incredible force. And what that might actually, what could that actually do in our world? And I wanted you to stretch your imagination to think about that because that's really the dynamic we're talking about today. There's something otherworldly that God wants to release in our world. I want to show you what that is. And I want to ask you to go, if you have a Bible or Bible app, if you have a Bible app, grab your phone and I want you to go to First Corinthians. As you're opening to First Corinthians... Let me tell you a little bit about this book of the Bible. It's a letter. It's to the Christians in the city called Corinth. It's a Greek city, and there were Christians in there. This letter is written to all of the Corinthian Christians, all of the Christians in that city. And the problem in that city, if you could distill it down to one thing, it was deep division. These Christians in that city were fighting, and almost anywhere you turn, they were divided and fighting about it. On one hand, they're fighting on who they follow. There were some Christians in Corinth that were like, we follow this leader. And other Christians in Corinth are saying, no, no, this leader's better. And even though those leaders were friends, the Christians were dividing, divided and fighting about who they should really follow. They were divided by who they followed in leadership. They were divided on how to worship. Some Christians in that city said, no, we should be really loose and open and just do whatever the Holy Spirit leads. And then another group of Christians are like, no, we should be very orderly and, and we should, everything should be in its order, very rigid. And so they fought about how to worship when we come together. There are another group of Christians that they, they fought about how to live. And some of the Christians in Corinth, they lived so loosely, they were honestly just living in open sin and rationalizing it. And then other Christians that lived just so rigidly, so legalistically, they had so many rules, well beyond what the scripture said, that they were, and they fought about that. No, this is the way to live. And so there's so much fighting that Paul writes all the Corinthians of this city a a letter. And in this letter, the most memorable chapter has been quoted and memorized and read in put on pictures and put on coffee mugs. And it's said all over the world, probably in almost every single country. This is such one of the most famous chapters in this book, one of the most famous in the Bible. And it's the perfect perfect anecdote to what they're going through. It's actually like the perfect anti-venom for when division strikes. And I want you to see it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Open to chapter 13. What we're going to do is we're going to start at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. So go to chapter 13, verse 13. Let's take a look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 13:13 13, 13 says this. So, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, let's just look at this one verse before we go any further, because what he does is he takes three things that are sometimes known as the cardinal virtues. Basically, if you could distill down the Christianity genuinely following Jesus, if you could distill it down to three components what you would have are these three cardinal virtues, faith, hope, and love. And if you think about these three things, you're like, wow, that really covers everything. It's underneath everything. So let's just briefly kind of break these out. What's faith? Let's start with faith. What is faith? Faith is the belief in an unseen reality. So the reality that I'm in right now, there are things about this reality That are unseen, faith is believing in what is unseen. So for example, the belief that there is a God, we take our belief in God, we take that on faith because we can't see God, we can't touch God, we take it on faith. We take our salvation on faith. I mean, faith, you talk about distilling it down to three key components. Faith has got to be one of them. Our whole salvation is by faith. The Bible's super clear. You don't get saved. You don't get to heaven by just being religious or being good or trying really hard or being sincere. None of that can save you. It's faith in something you haven't seen. You're saved by faith, by faith that God entered creation as the person of Jesus Christ, died by crucifixion came back to life on the third day, and it's faith that that death and resurrection is actually a sacrifice on my behalf and what he did makes a way for me to be saved. It's faith that he saved me, he's my savior, he's my rescuer. I take that on faith, so then I put my faith in Jesus that your work, Jesus, saves me. It's our faith that's saved, not by works of righteousness, that, 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 he, that we've done. It's not by that. It's by grace through faith that we've been saved. So faith is critical. It's, it's something unseen, belief in an unseen reality. The second virtue is hope. Hope is similar to faith, hope is a conviction of an unseen future. Faith is unseen current reality, hope is an unseen future, a heaven. That's not just a wish. I'd like to think I go to heaven. No, no. It's a conviction that God promised heaven. So I am convicted that that is my future because of what Jesus did. And if it's a conviction, it's not just like, well, I mean, I... I'd like to think I'll get there one day, but I'm going to go back to living my life. No, it's a conviction. My hope is, it's a conviction. I will spend eternity in heaven. Even though I can't see that, I'm hoping that that is my future. So that changes my life now because this is just, you know, temporary. So I have a conviction of a unseen future. It's actually this present life as well. I I have hope that he will work all things together for good. I'm going through a hard time now, maybe. But I know that, look, he's going to make it right in the end. I have a hope for my future. It's an unseen future. But I have hope and a conviction that he will make it right. So that's faith and hope. But love is different than those two. Faith and hope deal with the unseen. Love deals with what's seen. Love is acting on a seen reality for the sake of someone else's future. Love takes action on what is seen. So these three things, faith, hope, and love, but here's what's so startling to me about this verse. Every time I see it, I just find it so stunning. He actually tells you which of the three. He tells us which of the three, faith, hope, and love, which of the three is the greatest. One of those is greater than the other. He says it. If it was me, I mean, I would have said probably faith. I mean, that's how we're saved, so it's got to be faith. No, there's something greater than faith. Maybe hope. I mean, we've got this whole life that we have hope for a future, but we'll spend eternity in the future, so maybe it's hope. It's not hope. He says, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, why is is love the greatest? Well, think about it. One day, faith and hope won't be necessary. Faith and hope will pass away. I mean, think about it. One day when we're uh, in heaven, we don't have to hope for heaven. Our future is realized. It's not unseen anymore, it's seen. Faith, one day when we're standing in the presence of Almighty God, when we can see Jesus, we can touch him, we can hold him, we can hear him laugh. When we're in the presence of God, we can see him. We don't. It's not the unseen, it's seen. Faith, or faith and hope one day will no longer be necessary, but what will go on forever and ever and ever, love. In fact, let's take it a step further. Without love, we would never have anything to hope or have faith in. Because it's through love that we're saved. It's by an act of love that God saved us who didn't deserve to be saved. So it's love that we have something to put our faith in. It's the love of God. For God so loved the world. It's because of love we have something to put our hope and our faith in. The greatest of these is love. He actually takes this a little further. I want you to go back to the beginning of um, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to pick it up in verse 1. Look what he says. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am... What's the word right there? I am nothing. Nothing. He says, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, listen to this. He, he, these things that he says, I mean, these are the things that would really impress us religiously or spiritually. He, he talks about, let's break these down to three things. The first one he talks about is being super like in tune with the move of the spirit, like being super spiritual. He says, imagine you can, uh, you, you have all prophetic, miraculous powers. You're one of those people that can just discern things in other people's lives. Maybe even God gives you insight into people's lives that you don't ordinarily know. Like if you ever came across someone like that, you'd be like, wow, that's like spiritually elite to be that spiritual. He says, but if you don't have love, then it's not that great. No, that's not what he says. He says, "Man, if you have if you're super spiritual, really in tune with the Holy Spirit, but don't have love," he says, "look, it's not as good as you could be." No, that's not what he says. He says, "If you have all that, you're super spiritual, but don't have love, you're nothing." He then says, what about the people who are super knowledgeable? You ever come across one of those people that you're like, man, where's that verse again? It goes like this, and they know it. They know the book, the chapter, the verse, and then they can quote it in like three translations. You know those people that I'm talking about? It's like those people that have all the answers. You're in your small group. And, and, and you, someone has a Bible question or a theology question and they all turn to that person and that person always knows the right answer. Or you've got a tough question or a doubt that you're wrestling with and you go to them and man, they, they've just got so much knowledge or just, it's so impressive. And you're like, wow, someone with that kind of Bible knowledge or that kind of Bible memorization or that kind of theological knowledge or, or that kind of wisdom, you say, wow, that person, they're like, they're up there. They're a spiritual giant what does the Bible say? It says, if you have all that knowledge, but you don't have love, it says, well, that's good. You're just going to be abrasive to people. No. It doesn't say, wow, that's great that you have so much spiritual maturity. You just need to learn to get along with people. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say spiritually mature. It says you have nothing. Then it says a third, super spiritual, super knowledgeable. And then it says, I mean, this is incredible. He says, imagine you give away all that you have and even surrender your body to be burned, like burned at the stake. It's like passion, commitment, fervor, like all in, no holds barred. Like you do all of that. I mean, like, it's not just that you're generous. Like you turn around, you have nothing left. You've given everything away. Like you've given up your life. I mean, you look at someone like, wow, they've got that kind of commitment that's impressive. Like, I'm, I'm impressed with people of passion like that. He says, without love, you've, you've got nothing. So, okay, but that last one just seems like Paul just kind of took it too far. I mean, if you're doing those things, you're showing love, right? That's his point. Humanity can do incredible things and it not really come from a place of love. We can do incredible, incredibly charitable things, incredibly philanthropic things. We can do incredibly kind things, but it's not really come, coming from a place of love. We can do things because we want to look loving. We can do things for the recognition. We can do things to prove something to someone else. We may do it without anybody else knowing, but it's to prove something to ourselves. We're capable of all kinds of things. There's all kinds of motives that we do good things from. We may just do good things because it feels good to do good things. We may do nice things and be nice to people that we care about and we think that are nice. But but the Bible says something about that. In fact, Jesus says, you know, everybody's nice to the people who are nice to them. Bad guys are nice to people who are nice to them. He says, that's nothing new. He says, try loving your enemies. That would be, that would be something see what he's talking about here when he talks about love what he's talking about here this is not something that you just find around in the world when he talks about love this is not something that it just kind of boils out of our of our society this is not something that 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 comes out of this planet what he's talking about is something otherworldly it's not from planet earth when he's talking about love you say I- I don't know about that. I mean, there's like love here on the earth. Well, let me just show you what the Bible says in 1 John. Let me just flip over to 1 John and read this to you. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from who? Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not something this world produces. It comes from God. And that kind of true, deep love is something that comes from those who have been born again, born of God, are children of God, because they're following in the footsteps of the one who is love. Love is this otherworldly force we're called to release on our world with a furious power that leaves nothing but healing in its wake. Love is otherworldly, and we're called to release it in our, in, in our spheres, in the city, in the places that he's put us in. Now, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to love? Why would I want to be a person of love, other than it just sounds nice? Like, why would I actually want to live that kind of love? Because... It's what the Bible says. Jesus did the most loving thing we can comprehend by laying down his life. And it says that he sacrificed, and this is what it says, for the joy set before him. We love because truly living a life of love is the pursuit of joy as opposed to the pursuit of happiness. See, happiness is momentary and then fades. Joy is is something that usually starts subtle and grows. Happiness, well, let me just demonstrate it like this. Let me give you an example. I bet every single one of us has experienced something like this before. I was, on my, I was looking at my phone, I was going through my pictures, and I found a video um, from this past Christmas. It was Christmas morning. And it was a gift that Rebecca and I gave to the kids. And I got to rewind a little bit to kind of tell you what was going on. About two weeks before Christmas, I started lying to my children. And I told them that their swing set in the backyard um, had termites and needed to be tented for termites. And it might have had termites. Either way, it was really dilapidated. It, it It was old. It was falling apart. It terrified me every time they started climbing on it. And so um, I told them that it had termites and it needed to be tented. And so we covered it with a tarp. And then uh, we even put like little signs on the door so they wouldn't go in the backyard that said poison. And I said, look, you can't even, you can't go in the backyard. You're, you're going get, to get poison, you'll probably die. And after like several days, like a week, they're like, daddy, why are you going in the backyard? Because there's poison. And now my lies are kind of like building on each other. And I'm like, because the poison only kills termites and children. Okay, stop asking questions. All right. So I would, for that two weeks, I had some friends, we went and got, uh, to, went to Home Depot, we got some lumber, and we built a, a tree house with like a little swing set on it, and um, so then on Christmas morning, when they came down, we're celebrating, we take the signs off the the, the door, and and um, then the last present they opened, they did the scavenger hunt. Meanwhile, Rebecca crep- creeps outside and she's got the phone ready to video. And the kids come running out after the final clue. And they, they come and they see the tree house. And I'm watching this video of, of them seeing this, this fort, you know, on the swing set. And just... The joy on their faces. I mean, just jumping up and down and cheering and shouting and they laughing. I mean, just sheer joy. Like, I will watch that video for the rest of my life. It's one minute long, and it brings so much joy into my heart every time I see that just watching them. Now, if you'd asked me, like, as I finished watching that, if you asked me, Hey, well, what did you get for Christmas? It's, you know, a couple months ago, I could probably think of it, but it would take me a few minutes. And it's not that I didn't get good gifts. I I got great gifts. You know, Rebecca got me some great gifts. The kids got me stuff. It was great gifts. But it's the truth that all of us know. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when I say it's more blessed to give, I'm not saying, like, some, like, transcendent, super spiritual, like, on the top of a Tibetan mountain kind of more blessed to give than receive. Like, it really secretly stinks, but, like, on some level, it's more blessed. No, you know what I'm talking about. It's actually more fun to give than to receive. Like, when you receive a good gift, it brings happiness. Like, you're, like, really joyful, and that's the peak After that, slowly, the happiness fades. But with joy, it starts subtle. And it grows and grows and grows and it lasts. Like, I'll watch that video, like, for the rest of my life. And it'll probably mean more to me with every passing year. It's more blessed to give than to receive. See, here's the thing. The pursuit of joy is a life of love. The pursuit of happiness is the life, a lifestyle of selfishness. In other words, let's think of it like this. Do I live to give or do I live to get? If I live to get, if it's about what do I get, if I live to get, I will paradoxically never be satisfied. But if I live a lifestyle of giving. It's love. It's li- giving of myself. If I live a lifestyle of giving, if that starts to w- go into all of my spheres, it's just the way I live, if I live that lifestyle, I will be surprised by how much thankfulness, by how much gratitude, by how much contentment, by how much blessing that comes from that. And what, what this is saying is that's not just like a, a nice tip for living happy life, a uh, happy lifestyle. It's like that is really the core. That's the most important, like that's really the foundation of our existence. Why? Because the one that we follow, Jesus, the one that we worship, God, the one we were made for, the Almighty, gave himself for us out of love. So it's obvious that that should then be the core foundational way we live, we live a life of love. We live to give, not live to get. It's an otherworldly thing foreign to this planet that we're supposed to let loose. So let, let's just talk about that in our, in our spheres for a second. What if we just reduced all the complexity of life? Like, What if we just reduced that down to just loving God and loving other people? That's what Jesus said. Most important thing is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, what if we just, with all the craziness of life and all the complexity, we just go back to the basics of, did I love well today? Did I give of myself well? Let's start in the first most important sphere. Let's talk about home. You know, so often we'll go out of our homes And give and then come back in our homes to get and sometimes we feel entitled to that because we've given so much so that when we come back it's all about it's all about me but man, we should probably invert that and start with how can I give of myself to the people that I love the most let's talk about those home relationships it might be your roommate your 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 siblings parents maybe you are a parent maybe you're married Let me just read, like, it it can be so simple. Like, what is it? Let me just read what it says here in 1 Corinthians 13. Can you think about your home relationships and hear what this says about love? This is what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Like what if we just started at home and what if we just... Maybe for some of us, just write this on a note card and keep it right in front of us on the mirror when we see it in the morning or on the dashboard and just maybe it's part of our prayer time in the morning and we just say, you know, first and foremost, I want to I want to put my head on my pillow at night saying, I loved my, my spouse, I loved my children, I loved my family, I loved those in my home, I loved in my home well. I was patient and kind and not rude and not irritable, not resentful, I, I Bore the burdens, whether it's day after day or month after month or year after year. I bore the the burdens of those in my family. What if we loved well at home? Let's let's take it out a sphere. Because you have an earthly family, but you also have um, a spiritual family. You're part of. If you are a Christian, what that means about who you are is you are a piece of the church. Church is not something you attend, church is something you are. It describes the church, the Bible does, as a body. You are a part of that body. It describes church as a family. We've all been adopted into God's family, so we're brothers and sisters to each other. It says that the church is like a building in a city that God's building, and each of us are stones in that building. So once you become a Christian, you become a piece of the church. It's not something you go to, it's something you are a piece of. So let's talk about love In our church, what what I want you to do is, I want you to take a second and grab your your cell phone. Can everyone take out your cell phone real quick? Go ahead and take out your cell phone. Um, On the seat back in front of you, there is a QR code if you're here in person. um, I want you to go to that QR code. If you're watching online, go to the cityrev.org website. What I want you is scan that QR code. I want everyone who goes to CityRev to know what happens when you scan that QR code. Take a second. I want you just to go to your, your camera and just hold it up, that QR code, and scan the QR code. I want you to know what happens. Okay, as you're doing that, here's what I, I want to, to ask you. When it comes to your church, your relationship in church, that sphere, do you go to church to get... Or do you go to church to give? I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, if you go to church to get, it's like everything else. You'll never be satisfied. If you go to church to give, you'll be surprised by the joy and the fulfillment that you come across. In fact, What I find out is those who are never satisfied, always complaining, always frustrated, always wishing things were different about their church are typically those who, because they're in get mode, those that are complaining the most are typically giving of themselves the least. And so they're never satisfied. And if church is about what you get, if your church is like, did they do the songs that I like? the volume that I like, from the decade that I like? Do did they, did, did they preach on what I like? Do they have the ministries that I want, the things I want for my family? Do they, have, do they have the various outreach opportunities? Is church aligned with what I like? If it's for you, if it's about what you get out of it, if that's the mode, if you take that into your church, then here's what I'm just telling you pastorally. You will last at churches for two to five years. And you'll go from church to church to church to church and you'll never find satisfaction. Why? Because you're in what's in it for me. You're in, you're in it for getting something out of it. But if you go to give, you'll be surprised at how fulfilling it is. Because then you'll come in and it doesn't matter what the song is. You're not there for, what, for yourself. You're there to give worship to God. Singing is not because you like the sound of your voice or you like the music. Giving is offering something to God. So it doesn't matter if next week Pastor Josh has us doing Gregorian chants, okay? It doesn't matter because we're giving it to God. We'll chant with all our heart back to God. It's giving to God. If you go to small group and you're driving to small group and you're like, man, I I hope I get something out of it. You'll always be disappointed. In fact, you'll probably stop going because you'll be like, you know what? What I'd like to get out of this evening is sitting on my couch, relaxing. But if you go to give, and you go, how can I encourage, be a listening ear, pray for someone? You know, how can I share vulnerably and draw out other people's vulnerability? How can I give? How can we serve together as a group? You'll find community and friendship like you never imagined. If you're, you're, how about uh, financially? If you have a, you can have a, a perspective of life where it's about what I get, or you can have a perspective of what I give. And if you say you know what I am a part of this church but it's not just what I get out of it I'm a part of what I put into it and so as you start giving financially then you every time the church celebrates something that God has done through us together you say that was seeds for things that I sowed I had the privilege of being a part of that God used me to be a part of that it's not just about what I get it's about what I give How about how you you serve Ask you to pull up that QR code because it's going to give you an opportunity to take a step and get involved on a serving team or take a step and get involved in a group. And why would you do that? Those of you who serve, you know, it's not just that you're, doing it as a chore, right? I'm gonna help out the old church. No, you're in pursuit of joy and what you know is that weekend that you're like, oh, that's right, I'm scheduled to serve and you're like, man, what a, what a hard week this was. I would love to go to church and just receive this week but here's what you know. You've known so many times, you're like, man, this is a hard weekend, I'm exhausted. It's a hard weekend for me to serve but when you arrive and you go to that kids' ministry space and you see those little faces hearing about Jesus for the first time, and you walk out of there, and you're like, man, I received more than I gave this week. I received way more. See, that's why we get involved and we give of ourselves. It's for the joy set before us. What if we had a lifestyle of love, a what can I give, not what can I get in our homes, a lifestyle of Love with our relationship with our church. What, what can I give, not what can I get, but let's take it one step further. What about our city? He's placed every one of us in the city, so he's got a purpose for us here. And there's one particular need I want to tell you about in our city. This is National Foster Care Month, and so we are, we've been focused on this last week and focusing on it again um, this week. I want to at least talk about it. Because love, unlike faith and hope, love is what is seen. And when you see a need, it's taking action for that need. I was with a couple other pastors and the leadership of Four Kids of South Florida earlier this week. Four Kids of South Florida is the foster care agency that we partner with. And they're giving us some recent statistics of our city here um, in South Florida from this past year. And here's what they told us. They said, look, we've been braced for what's going to happen as quarantine has been letting up and COVID restrictions are beginning to roll back and we've been braced for impact as children who have not been under the watchful eyes of the community start now going back and playing sports where there's a coach or going to school where there's a teacher or going to daycare where there's a daycare worker. And all of a sudden now, eyes being on children, we know that there's going to be an influx of kids that are showing signs of neglect or abuse that need to be taken, unfortunately, out of their homes for a season and placed in a warm, loving, safe home. And they said, we've been braced for an influx of that. And they gave us the statistics from this spring. In March of this year, compared to the March of last year, there's an increase of 37% increase of children being taken out of their homes. But here's the challenge. Because of all of the burdens that so many families are under because of this recent season in the pandemic, the stats of foster families are at a, at a real low right now. We are down in Broward County, 66 families. And to give kind of some context for that, four kids, they said, look, we last month got 44 referrals. These are children that need to be placed somewhere. And because of how short we are, are on foster families, we could only place four of them. This week, just bringing it to just this week, this week there are 10 children in Safe Place, which is a shelter. 10 children waiting to be placed in a a home. And so here's what I want to challenge you to consider today. I want to challenge you to consider texting the word foster to 474747 this week. That's not to sign up to be a foster family. You need a lot more of prayer and discussion before you could do that. It's to say, here's the need. Would you be willing to have a conversation and explore that possibility? We've had all different types of families do that at City Rev. We've had some families, some who are single that fostered. We've had some that were newly married before they had kids fostered. We've had some who had a bunch of kids that fostered. We'd have, we've had some that uh, had kids out of their home that, uh, ha- that fostered, that were empty nesters. Just people responding to the need. And so here's what I want you to consider while you have your phone out is to consider texting the word foster to 474747 this week to just continue the conversation. If you text that, what's going to happen is they're going to send you, four kids will send you a link back. You click on that link. They're going to ask for your information so you can respond to them and start dialoguing with what that looks like. Let me just share this with you to celebrate. Last week, we gave our church an opportunity to text that, and we had 25 families text for more information. Can we celebrate that together? Isn't that awesome? (laughs) 25 families said, I don't know, but let me find out if I can do that. And so for some of you, you texted that last week, and then your challenge this week is to click that link and fill out your information. Begin the conversation. That's all you're being asked to do. You need a lot of prayer and a lot of discussion But just take a step and ask. But I want you to see it. I want you to see what the need is. So I want to introduce you to a little girl named Tanya. Go ahead and pull the picture of of Tanya. Tanya is this little girl on the right, the little one. And uh, she's holding a hand of her new big sister, who's the big girl on the the left. And that picture was taken on, on Monday. They're walking into the courthouse, and Tanya is getting adopted into that family, and I just want you to see the look on, on her big sister's face. Do you see that smile? Tanya just, just started walking, and so that, that smile on big sister's face, you know what that is? That's joy. Let me tell you about Tanya's story. About a year ago, Tanya was removed from her home because of signs of physical abuse. The person that shared the story with us used to remo- actually be the one removing children from homes. And so it told us look, children get removed from their homes if there's bruises or cuts or scratches that are evidence of abuse, they would get removed from their home. If a child has a broken bone, that is extremely severe, like someone is going to go to jail. Um, especially if a baby like Tanya's age when she was taken out of her home, if, if a baby has a broken bone, because babies have, their bones are a little bit more pliable when they're, when they're young. When, when Tanya was received into this foster family, she was in a body cast. And they said that she had 17 broken bones. I, I don't know the details of what happened I don't know what kind of what kind of pain or suffering someone would be under to allow or inflict that. Like I don't know what's happened in their life. I, I don't know. I, I don't know the backstory. But I know that Jesus, when he was asked, well, what does it mean to love my neighbor? He said, It's not complicated. You're going down the road in your life and you see someone hurt and wounded and you just stop and help. You don't feel bad and keep going. You stop and take action. That's what it means to love. He's placed us here to love this city and to to love the most vulnerable, the most hurting, the most broken in our city. And my request to you is that you would pray and consider just one simple thing, to love our city. This week is that you would just send a text message, click a link, send foster to 474747 and just pray what might God open up just to begin that journey. Why, why would we do that? Why would we show love like that? It's because of what it says in first John. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or or talk, but in deed and in truth. May he find us a people that love in action towards each other in our homes in our church and in our city. May he bring just fuel and, and just flow this otherworldly force of love through our city that brings healing in its wake. May he find a people that are ready to love him and love others. For some of you, I think the greatest challenge for you is believing how much God loves you he went to great lengths to show you love so that you may find salvation. Take it in faith that he loves you. That faith will save you. Let me lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here and you want to take that step of faith, put your faith in Jesus, let me lead you in a prayer. Just silently, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, Make this your word, your your prayers to God in your heart. Say, God, I want to be saved. I believe you love me. I believe Jesus is the one who saved me by his death and resurrection. It's not what I do, it's what he did. I put my faith in him. He's my savior. I will live a life of love following after you in Jesus' name. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, would you just take a second if you pray that, if you put your faith in Jesus, go to cityrev.org slash faith. You can click on that link if you're watching online. If you're here in this room, you can, on your phone, go to cityrev.org slash faith. I'm asking you to do that and to fill out those questions. We wanna give you a Bible. We want you to go out and get to know your Savior. We wanna journey with you. If you're here, you can also uh, go to guest services in the in the parking lot. We wanna celebrate with you. But church, hey, can we today be, be doers of the word and not just hearers? Would you take that step and remind yourself all week to show love to your family? Would you take a step and find a way to serve your church? Pray about serving your city. Let's be doers of the word and show love. Let's take action. So today we're going to close with a song, and the song is that we bring our lives, we bring our hearts over and over to God. And here's what we're praying. God, bring down the walls in my heart. Bring those down so I can feel your love and show your love. Would you stand with me as we close with this song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.